This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for November 12, 2020. An update on updates, including one for iOS 12, a two-year-old issue that hasn't been fixed in iOS 14, and a rundown of Apple's latest Mac hardware announcements. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Hey, Josh, it's that time again, isn't it? Ah, time to patch, right? <laughs> well, time to patch and time to talk about new Apple stuff. Um, we'll get to the new Apple stuff that was announced. Well, we're releasing this on Thursday. We're recording Wednesday, and it was announced Tuesday. So I could say it was announced yesterday. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. We've got, first, a, a, a lot of patches. Yeah, last week was a patch-heavy week. Yeah, absolutely. There were a bunch of updates that came out. Um, the main updates were updates for uh, iOS 14, watchOS 7, and also tvOS 14. Um, so we got iOS, iPadOS tvOS 14.2, and we got watchOS 7.1. There were also some more minor, um, in terms of number of issues fixed, um, for watchOS 6 and 5, because there are certain Apple Watch models that can't be upgraded to watchOS 7. Um, And we also got a macOS Catalina supplemental update, and even an iOS 12 update. Right. And that's, so that's two versions ago. And usually they don't go back past the previous version, but since iOS 14 is so new, maybe they're doing a sort of out of band update to the older one. We don't know what Apple's plans are really. I think I actually did reach out to Apple at one point and asked whether they are planning to continue to release iOS 12 updates once iOS 14 was out. They never really responded. So we don't really know for sure what Apple's plans are. Um, This is the first time actually that Apple has released an iOS 12 update since iOS 14 came out. So it does appear as though either this is a one-off because there were really severe vulnerabilities or that maybe Apple will continue to release some updates for iOS 12 throughout the time that iOS 14 is out. We don't we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's worth noting that any iOS device that can run iOS 13 can also run iOS 14 so they can be updated to the latest operating system. Right. So I, I mentioned that some of these updates were more minor, uh, like the watchOS 6 and 5 updates and uh, the iOS 12 update and even the Catalina supplemental update. These updates were very specifically issued to fix three vulnerabilities. There was one that Apple describes as a font parser issue. This is all that Apple explains when when it comes to what was fixed. They say, processing a maliciously crafted font may lead to arbitrary code execution. Um, But here's the scary part. Apple is aware of reports that an exploit for this issue exists in the wild. And there were also two kernel vulnerabilities that had similar descriptions where Apple was aware of it being exploited in the wild. All of these were attributed to Google Project Zero, um, which means that Google's security team discovered these vulnerabilities and reported them to Apple and uh, said, hey, we're aware that these 
are being exploited in the wild, you better fix these. Um, they were related to some Android uh, vulnerabilities, evidently, as well. Um, now, there's a little bit of confusion in the press, I think, about this because um, Apple seems to be using different vulnerability ID numbers, the CVE numbers, than what uh, Google has used to describe the same issues elsewhere. Um, but it seems like those are the same issues. So they're critical. It's zero day. Like apparently somebody was exploiting them, probably in targeted attacks in the wild, um, probably not widely exploited, but it's definitely worth patching your devices, uh, getting these updates installed. You want to make sure that on your iOS devices that you've got iOS or iPadOS 14.2, that's the latest version. And then also if you're running Catalina, you want to make sure that you've got the latest supplemental update installed. Same thing for uh, watchOS. Make sure watchOS is up to date as well. There's another bug that Apple hasn't fixed, and it's nearly two years old. And you have an article on the Intego Mac security blog from about 10 days ago. It's a fake headlines bug that you're saying could be used for election interference. Well, the election's passed, but well, the election's not entirely over, as we know. <laughs> but this is something we talked about in early 2019, and I found it really surprising that this has still not been fixed. Yeah, it's been roughly 20 months. So we're like coming up on two years since this was first uh, discovered. We wrote about it at the time. Um, and this was initially uh, discovered by the Mac Rumors uh, editorial team. And they wrote an article about this. They made a video. And the way that they presented it, it was kind of like this this um, sort of fun little thing that you could use to play pranks on your friends with uh, who also ha- use iMessage, who also have an iPhone. I saw this at the time as a potential issue where somebody could um, send scam messages. Like it could actually be used for fraud. Um, you could, for example, uh, trick somebody into buying a stock. You know, maybe somebody's a day trader who doesn't re- really know very much about what they're doing and they might believe any headline that they get, especially if it appears to come from Forbes.com, for example, uh, or some other website that they might trust. And um, so the issue here, the the way that this bug works is that um, they're exploiting a feature that I think is poorly implemented in iOS. Uh, The feature is that you're supposed to be able to highlight a portion of a web page and then hit the share button in Safari. And then it will quote from the web page when you you send that, um, that link to somebody in iMessage. So uh, the idea is that that quote shows up as part of that bubble. You don't have to also paste that into the Messages app. And you've got a little video in the article showing exactly how it works. You've basically created a fake headline um, to go along with a real article. And that fake headline could go along with any article. And in your example, you use businessinsider.com. And as you say, someone sees a headline of some major event that's just happened. They see the domain name and the icon of the website. And if they don't click through, they could be totally taken by your little, as you say, prank, but which could be a lot more serious. Right, right. And it, the uh, the exploit here is that um, <laughs> Apple's not validating what part of the page you're selecting. And so the problem is that you can actually type in any text field and then select the text that you've written and then hit the share button. And then that can appear to be a headline coming from that legitimate uh, you know, news or whatever website. 
that's the problem. So Apple could, it seems, fix this really easily because all they would have to do is validate, make sure that you're selecting something that actually exists on the page as you as it was received from the web server, not something that the user has typed into the page. Um, but they haven't done this yet. And it's been almost two years now. It's kind of crazy. Okay, so Tuesday, uh, Apple had their third new product presentation of this autumn. We're not used to it had this many presentations, but of course, with a pandemic, uh, things have changed a lot. They're not inviting press. I, I must say, before we go on, I'm finding these presentations a lot better than when they do them in the theater. And there's a lot of press and the press is maybe cheering or they're waiting for applause and they don't get it. I, I find it's better paced. It's really well-directed. It's well-crafted. Um, they're They're very nice commercials, aren't they? Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. I, I think these are very, very well done. Um, and I like the experience, honestly, of like, you know, flying through the Apple campus a little bit and getting to uh, rather than having people trot out on a stage on the same stage, everyone's kind of standing in the same place, clicking through a slideshow. This is much uh, a much better production quality. Um, and and it gives them a lot more flexibility to show things um, because the whole thing is a pre-recorded video rather than just showing you a few pre-recorded videos in between talking heads on a stage. Right. And we'll talk about the new Macs that were presented um, a little bit later. But that Craig Federighi got to go into the Apple lab where they've got the Macs and the tables and all the, the what, what would you call it, the electronic equipment for testing and everything. And it looks a lot more like he's getting his hands dirty instead of him just doing a demo up on the stage. I found it quite agreeable. The first one that they did in September was too fast paced and they were throwing out too much stuff. Um, this one was 45 minutes. It was concise. It wasn't long. It, they covered everything they needed to, and I think it's a, a good way to communicate. So let's start with Apple's M1 chip. Now, those of us in the UK know that the M1 is that motorway. There is always roadworks, and you never get through very quickly, and all the UK publications are going to be talking about that. Um, but what they've done here is essentially, so Apple's been making chips for iPhones and iPads for years, and the chips that they have in the iPhone and the iPad are what's called systems on a chip, or SOC. And they have everything on the chip. They have the CPU, they have the security components, they have whatever hardware, encoding, decoding stuff they have, machine learning chips, and they put it all on one chip. The advantage of this is it's small, it's compact, and it's very efficient because you're not running data through a whole bunch of chips. It's very close, and everything's going at the same speed, so you're not losing time. Just a couple of numbers. They're using the cutting-edge 5 nanometer process, and there's an astounding 6 billion transistors, which is obviously the most that Apple has ever put in a, a chip. One way to think of this is it is an iPad chip in a Mac. We'll talk about the new Macs later. Um, but it's the same idea. It's a lot more powerful. It's got um, a lot more interesting features. But it's the same idea. And going forward, this is what we're going to see um, in Mac processors. Now, one thing that really stood out for me is if you look at the Macs that are still for sale on the Apple website, you'll see that a certain iMac has a chip running at a certain speed in gigahertz. And they didn't mention gigahertz at all anymore. And I think that the gigahertz um, selling point is finished because, again, there's so much performance gain by having all this integrated that it 
outweighs the speed of the processor. So this M1 chip, it has an eight-core CPU. It has a seven or eight-core GPU. That's the graphics chip. I'll explain later what the difference is between seven and eight. But it has everything else on it. It's got that T2 security chip, the secure enclave. Um, it's got everything in one little chip. It's really quite impressive what they've done here. It's interesting that you mentioned that about how Apple's not touting gigahertz at all. I remember, you know, back before Apple transitioned to Intel, the last big architecture transition on the Mac, Apple used to say uh, gigahertz isn't everything because, you know, they would advertise the the megahertz rating back at one point of the G3 and G4 processors when Intel was getting up into the gigahertz range and people would go, oh, Intel processors are faster than the Apple processors. And Apple would say, no, we're twice as fast. And we don't even have to be at the same, you know, megahertz or gigahertz rating as the competition because our processors are different. Um, and so it sort of, it, it led to a very like confusing uh, kind of thing that where Intel basically for marketing reasons almost could just increase the number of megahertz or gigahertz and make their processors look way better than anything that Apple was putting out. Um, and so I think probably part of the reason that Apple's not talking about clock speed is because really it's not relevant anymore. And if you look at the charts that Apple has put up, um, they, they actually showed these during the presentation and they're available in, uh, in, on Apple's website. We'll have a link in the article on the, the Mac security blog, uh, where we talk about all this. Uh, there'll be a link in that article to Apple's press release where they have all of these charts that show the uh, CPU performance compared to equivalent uh, PCs, you know, same same class PCs. Um, they call it the latest PC laptop chip. Yeah, yeah. They don't mention any specific manufacturer of that chip. Right. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're, they're talking about Intel. I mean, they could be talking about AMD too, I suppose. Um, but well. you know, Apple is still selling Intel Max and they will be apparently for a couple of years. They, they mentioned again in the presentation yesterday that, uh, this is going to be a transition that takes place over the next couple of years. So right. it's going to be a while before Apple completely gets rid of Intel out of all Macs that they're currently selling. Uh, and that's probably the other reason why they don't want to throw Intel under the bus, because then it also makes it look like, well, why are you still selling anything with Intel chips? Yep. OK, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about these three new Macs. You already know that Intego loves Macs. After all, Intego has been making world-class Mac security software since 1997. But did you know that Intego Antivirus is also available for Microsoft Windows? If you've got Windows running on your Mac, either in Boot Camp or in a virtual machine like Parallels, VMware, or VirtualBox, make sure to protect it from malware just like you protect macOS with Intego Security Software. Intego Antivirus for Windows is also a great solution for your friends and family members with Windows PCs. Download a free trial of Intego Antivirus for Windows today, and when you're ready to buy, use the link in the show notes for a special discount. Don't use Windows? Don't worry, we've still got a great deal for you. First-time buyers of Mac Premium Bundle X9 can get Intego's powerful Mac security and utility suite at an incredible 40% savings by using coupon code PODCAST20 at checkout. Intego, makers of the best protection software for Mac, and now for Windows, too. 
Okay, so we were talking about this new processor, and I said it was an eight-core CPU, and it has either a seven or eight-core GPU. It comes in two flavors. It comes in one that has eight gigabytes of RAM, and it comes in another that has 16 gigabytes of RAM. That's it. That's the only options. We said there's no more gigahertz. You just get to choose... Um, the amount of RAM that's on the processor. You can't add RAM to any of these three new Macs. Now, the three new Macs are a MacBook Air, 13-inch MacBook Pro, and a Mac Mini. Arguably, these are the entry-level Macs for all three of them, the MacBook Air being thin and light, the MacBook Pro being a little bit better, particularly better display, and the Mac Mini being the sort of small Mac for people who use it with a cheap display or who use it as a server, et cetera. So none of these computers are the ones that are used by pros, even though the MacBook Pro has the word pro in it. I mentioned that there are two versions, one with seven graphic cores and one with eight. And the cheaper MacBook Air comes with a seven-core GPU, and all the other ones come with an eight-core GPU only. I learned a new term. It's called chip binning. Um, when processors are made, they're all tested to make sure that they meet certain standards, and they all have to have the eight CPU cores that work well. And some of them only have seven GPU cores that work well. So rather than throw them out, Apple's recycling them and selling them in the slightly cheaper Mac. This doesn't mean it's that inferior. And I would almost think that if the cheaper MacBook Air sells well enough, they won't have enough binned chips, and they'll just have to underclock the chip in the MacBook Air if they keep selling millions of them. Right. Yeah, this, this is actually something that uh, processor and, well, and hardware manufacturers in general have been doing for a long time. And it makes a lot of sense um, be, because it makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing that does kind of bother me, though, is that that whole 8 versus 16 gigs. Okay, really? Like, really? Max with 8 gigs of RAM? Why on earth is Apple still selling anything with 8 gigs of RAM? Yeah, the 8 gigs of RAM is like the 16 gigs of storage on an iPhone a few years ago. It's really not enough. But is it not enough? So here's what I'm wondering. First, so all three of these computers have exactly the same chip, as I said, except for that GPU core. Um, they all give you the same option of 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM. But we don't know yet if this processor is so well optimized that you may be able to use 8 gigabytes of RAM more efficiently. Yeah, well, th th that's what I was about to say, yeah, is that I guess we don't know yet. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. This is a whole new um, you know, architecture. I mean, it's a whole new, uh, internal design on these Macs. Um, it's, it's a really dramatic shift because it's not just replacing the processor. It's not just the CPU. It's a whole bunch of components that are all being replaced by, by one SOC system on a chip. So they're putting all these components together, uh, tightly integrated, like you mentioned, which it, it enables really fast speeds. And so, yeah, maybe you, yeah, you would do just fine with 16 gigs of RAM. I felt like, uh, you know, when I got my current MacBook Pro a couple of years ago, I was kind of surprised that you could only get it with 32 gigs of RAM, even on the, the best model of MacBook Pro. And now you're only going to be able to get 16 on the new MacBook Pro. The limitation is also on the Mac Mini, which some people used for more serious work. Um, the previous Mac Mini could hold up to 64 gigs of RAM. And being limited to 16, I'm already seeing a lot of people talking on Twitter that this is it's just problematic for some people. I mean, I had thought not long ago that I might want to get a Mac Mini in an external display instead of an iMac. Uh, my iMac needs to be refreshed, but I'd hesitate now to do that because... 
I just don't want to get into a cul-de-sac. But again, this is new. So the question I have is, if you rush out and buy one now, should you pay the $200 more to get the 16 gigabytes? Should you take a chance that the eight is enough? Or should you wait until people benchmark it and find out that, you know what, eight might have been enough and I could save 200 bucks? Pay the 200 bucks. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> okay. So the other options are SSD, and all three of these can go up to two terabytes. Now, these are essentially, again, the innards are the same. What's different is the cases, the displays or the, the non-display on the Mac Mini. Nothing's changed on these three computers at all. They're the same physically as they were before. There was no talk about thinner or lighter or new design or anything. It's exactly the same. Everything that they presented was about the new chip, and it makes sense. And let me tell you, when they first started talking about the MacBook Air and saying that the the M1 chip delivers up to 3.5 times faster CPU, my jaw dropped. As I say in my article on the Intego Max Security blog, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm used to every year it's 20 or 30% faster, but 3.5 times faster, that's just – I look forward to seeing the benchmarks on these. Yeah. Well, and of course, they say up to, which means for certain specific tasks, it'll be three and a half times faster. It's not going to be three and a half times faster to read email. It's obvious. <laughs> right, right, exactly. They're only benchmarking the processor-intensive stuff. Right, yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I, I think it's clear that these are going to be super fast machines, and probably um, they're going to be great for the next several years, for, for you know, as long as Apple's still releasing uh, operating system updates for them for the next several years, um, which uh, they, they usually do. Apple Apple's typically supported hardware for what is it at least five years i think something like that five or six years generally yeah Yeah. so um you know as long as apple uh, does that even though these are first gen uh, models with the new processor the price is pretty good i think and uh and if you're in none of the prices are higher than the previous models um they they had raised the mac mini at the last refresh and they dropped it back to the price it was previously um but the macbook air and the macbook pro the 13 inch macbook pro are the same price as they were so you're not paying more of course apple's paying less to make them because they're not paying another company for the chips so they may actually be making more off of these than they were before. That's a fair point. Okay. But I, I guess what I was going to say is that I think that um, if if you're willing to take the risk of theoretically some piece of software that you have might not work very well or might not be quite as fast, um, Apple is saying that their new Rosetta 2 technology, uh, by the way, Rosetta, the original Rosetta, was technology that Apple released so that you could run your apps that were designed for the old G3, G4, G5 processors on an Intel Mac. And they included that with a couple versions of Mac OS um, back in the day while they were in the middle of that Intel transition. So Rosetta 2 is basically the same thing, but for Intel to Apple Silicon. And uh, so Rosetta 2, um, they say, basically makes it possible to run all of your existing apps. And, uh, and in many cases, you can even run them faster, they say, on Apple Silicon than you could on an Intel machine. Just because even with that layer of emulation, there's still faster processing. And so you're still going to be able to run that app faster anyway, even if the developer hasn't yet ported it. Now, Apple has also made the developer tools available now so that uh, developers can 
make their software what they call a universal binary. Again, they're recycling older terms, but in this case, a universal binary is something that runs natively on Intel and also runs natively on Apple Silicon. So all apps are basically going to be going forward um, universal binaries for the foreseeable future, certainly during this transition for the next couple of years. Right. Generally, what's happened is after a couple of years, uh, app developers stopped developing for the older platform and only developed for the new one. But uh, apparently, from what I've been reading, it's not a big deal to 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 make both of them for most apps. There are some apps where it's going to be a problem. The other big number here is battery life. And, and this is what people had been saying um, looking forward to this, that this what's called an ARM-based processor uses much less power. And I think the system on the chip uses a lot less power as well, since things aren't moving around as much, generates less heat. The new MacBook Air, which doesn't have a fan this time, offers up to 18 hours of video playback, whereas the previous one had 12, um, 15 hours of wireless web browsing, where the previous one, I think, had about 10. The MacBook Pro can do 20 hours of video. It's double what it did before. 17 hours of wireless web browsing up from 10 hours last year. That's huge. In part because I have never gotten the amount of time that Apple has said ever on a laptop. I think my current... Uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro from 2019 is supposed to get, let's say, eight hours, and I'm lucky to get five. So <laughs> if they're saying I'm going to get 20, I'll get 12 or 14, which is by far more than I'd ever need in a given day. I, I, I was kind of blown away when they were talking about battery life. It makes sense because, um, you know, again, this is a much more efficient way of doing things to have everything all integrated together. Um, it makes a lot of sense that that would use a lot less power. So um, and not to mention that ARM processors in general just use less power. Yeah, this is a really cool thing. So it's not just that you're getting a faster machine for the same price as you could get the previous Intel versions, but you're also getting something that is going to have a much longer battery life, um, which is really cool. Again, I think that um, these new Apple laptops, the the new MacBook Air and the and the Pro, are both really impressive looking machines. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing some reviews to see whether people run into any you know issues that may not be obvious. You know, pending seeing those reviews, I, I'm I'm very excited about um, the the way that Apple is moving forward with uh, Apple Silicon. I think this is really cool. I'm actually really tempted to get myself uh, a Mac mini because I've been wanting to replace uh, an old uh, iMac that I've had for many years. Um, I have an external display, so I could just get a Mac mini and stick it on my desk and, and occasionally hook up to it if I want, you know, that would be a good idea. I'm not getting anything because my MacBook pro is too recent and I'm still holding out for the new iMac. So they haven't introduced um, new iMacs with Apple chips yet. That's probably going to be the next round as they move up um, from pure consumer level to sort of semi-pro and pro, um, we'll probably see the 21-inch iMac, and there's rumors that it'll be uh, 24-inch with smaller bezels, because remember, the 27 was just updated last summer. Um, we'll probably see the larger MacBook Pro, so that'll be the first Pro Mac, and we'll probably see an M2 chip in these devices, not an M1. There's probably going to be a separation between the different chips. A few numbers that I found interesting, all three of these new Macs have Thunderbolt 3, USB 4, Bluetooth 5, and Wi-Fi 6. Mm-hmm. But the laptops still have these low-resolution 720p FaceTime cameras. Now, Apple <laughs> did say that there's some improved image processing, yeah. um, but 
come on, 720p with so many people working at home and doing FaceTime and Zoom and Skype calls, uh, that's a bit of a problem. I did notice that. In the presentation, they did not say we actually improved the camera. They just said we improved the processing of the image that's coming from your FaceTime camera. <laughs> and and the, the, yeah. the picture that they showed, by the way, it did it looked about as grainy as you would expect from a uh, <laughs> from a FaceTime image, in my opinion. But yeah. Also, the two laptops only have two ports, so that can be a bit of a problem if you need to charge and use peripherals, and you may end up having dongles. Um, the Mac Mini has two Thunderbolt three slash USB four ports. It has two USB A ports, which is fine if you have some older hardware and you don't want to use dongles. It's got an HDMI port. They've all got headphone jacks. <laughs> people had been wondering if this was going to go away, uh, but to be fair, a lot of people do use headsets with microphones and headphones to plug in to make video calls. Um, so it's really kind of important that they have that. So the other big news, of course, is macOS Big Sur. Uh, you'll be hearing this podcast from Thursday and sometime Thursday, November 12th, macOS Big Sur is coming out. We'll have all sorts of new and updated articles on the Intego Mac security blog. Big Sur is, well, we haven't talked about it too much. We talked about it back when it was introduced um, at the WWDC in June. It, it looks very different. Other than that, it's not that different. Uh, it's mostly visual. There are some new features, um, particularly the control center feature, which is pretty useful. There'll be an article about that. Uh, but otherwise, most of the apps haven't changed that much. It's just you're going to have to get used to the different look of macOS, the way the windows look, the menu bars, the dock, et cetera. Yeah, well, one one under the hood change that's pretty important is from a, a security uh, software perspective is that they actually have done a lot of things um, to further deprecate and almost completely eliminate kernel extensions. So that's actually something really important to know. Uh, this could mean that in some cases, if you have uh, a particularly old printer, you may not be able to find printer software that will be compatible with Big Sur unless you use maybe a generic printer driver or something like that. Um, also, you need to make sure that your security software that you're using is up to date. Uh, if you're running Intego software, make sure to run NetUpdate and make sure that you uh, have installed the latest version of all your Intego software before upgrading to Big Sur. That's really important. Um, same thing for any other security software that you might be using or anything else that might use a kernel extension. Again, generally, those are things like drivers and security software. I have a friend that has one of those big Lassie RAID devices that has five drives in it, and they're always a bit late when there's a new Apple operating system. So if you are using a RAID device, which, which does have to install a driver on your computer, make sure that you've got a driver, otherwise you won't be able to use the RAID device. Yeah, the best thing to do is to check the manufacturer's website, uh, see if they have uh, said anything about it, check their social media. If you can't find anything on their site or their social media, contact the company. Uh, and hopefully they at least have notified their uh, customer service people about compatibility issues. Um, certainly if you wait a week or so after Big Sur comes out uh, before upgrading to it, um, well, the, the customer service people are definitely going to know by then whether there are compatibility issues with Big Sur. So uh, if, if you have any concerns like that, you can hold off a bit. You don't have to upgrade to Big Sur immediately. Um, but, uh, ultimately you're probably going to want to move that direction. There, there are, 
Um, and as you said, that although there are some weird kind of interface tweaks, there are a lot of good under the, under the hood changes as from a security perspective that make Macs more secure. We'll probably talk a bit more about those sometime in the future. Okay, just one more thing. You said you might get a Mac Mini, but I was wondering if you were going to get the MacBook Air because it doesn't have a fan. <laughs> and we've talked several times about your problems with fan noise because of browser tabs and Skype and all that. Are you tempted? I was. I was a little tempted. And I thought about that as I was watching the Apple presentation. I'm like, ooh, an Apple laptop that doesn't have <laughs> a fan. I'm like, that might be exactly what I need. Uh, however, I don't know if I want to pay that much. And also kind of, I mean, I have a MacBook Pro and I, I don't know if I want to get a MacBook Air in addition to that. So... Yeah, I don't know. If my MacBook Pro was a bit older, I would sell it and and get a MacBook Air. MacBook Air um, has, was certainly my favorite Mac. But the limitation of only two ports, um, the limitation of 16 gigabytes I could live with, but I'm just, I, I'm kind of hesitant about all this. I want to see how everything happens. I think it's going to be really positive when we get the first reviews and benchmarks, but I'm more interested personally in an iMac, which I guess will be sometime early next year. Also, the other thing is I really like the bigger screen on a laptop. So uh, I'd rather hold out for like a 15 or 16 inch uh, display. And if you already have a display and if it's not Thunderbolt compatible, then you can't use it with one of these Macs. So that's another thing to consider. You know, we're, we're in this stage where we're going through a sort of connector change as well with the USB going into USB-C with Thunderbolt and all. So if you have, let's say, an HDMI display, you wouldn't be able to use it on the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro. You would be able to use it on the Mac Mini, though. So, yeah. I'm sure you'll let us know. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>